get started then. Uh, let's uh, open up in prayer this morning. We are ready to start here, 951. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and to study your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would change us through your word. Lord, pray that the power would not be in the teacher and the power would not be in the listener, but the power would be in your word and through what you do through it. And Lord, just pray that you'd accomplish what you want to do here this morning and that you'd draw us to yourself through this book of Zechariah. And pray that we would be motivated and prepared through the study to better worship you this morning and to better be ready to hear the preaching of your word from Pastor Adam. In the holy and precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Well, go ahead and turn with me to... Uh, come on in, guys. Go ahead and turn with me to the book of Zechariah. Um, today we are on part two of our series on Zechariah. And I'm really excited for this series. We talked about this last week, if you were here for our introductory session, that Zechariah is a very different kind of book than I've ever taught before, and maybe a different kind of book than many of us are used to and familiar with. Um, last week in part one of our Zechariah series, I did just a very simple introduction to Zechariah. We talked about some of the history behind the book and uh, you know, the genre of the book and such. And this book is classified among biblical scholars as apocalyptic prophecy. Right? So this is very different than what a lot of us are used to dealing with. This is like Revelation. That's what Zechariah is like. It's a very different kind of book, very prophetic, lots of imagery, lots of visions by the prophet. So there's a lot of really fun stuff that we're going to get into as we're studying this book together. I'm excited to do it because I've never taught a book like this before, and I think it will be really good for us. Um, when we had done our introduction last week, I had started off by telling a lot about the history behind Zechariah. You remember how the people of Israel, uh, after Solomon's golden age of Israel, sinned, and God, as a result of Israel's unfaithfulness, their worship of false gods, and all the rest of the things that they were doing, God sent the people of Israel into exile in Babylon. You remember, Babylon had come in, taken over Israel, brought Daniel and you know uh, his friends and a whole bunch of other Israelites to exile in Babylon. And the people of Israel were, I mean, they were distraught at this kind of a thing. They were wondering, where is God? What happened? And a lot of them turned to God in that time. And we can see the, the Israelites that turned to God if you read Psalm 137. That's a psalm about the Israelites turning to God after the Babylonian exile and saying, God, we are sorry. You know, we don't want to be here. Come help us. Come destroy our enemies. And uh, I might preach on that psalm eventually in the, the psalm series that I'm doing on, on Sunday evenings for messages. But anyway, back to Zechariah. That's kind of the history behind Zechariah because Zechariah's ministry is in the wake of the Israelites coming back from the Babylonian exile. They return to the land of Canaan. Canaan is destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem are destroyed. All the cities are destroyed. The great temple of Solomon is in the ground. It is destroyed. It's a pile of rubble. And that's what these people came back to. And Zechariah is ministering to God's people in this wake of Redemption. They're brought back to the land. God had mercy on them. They're freed from the exile. They came back. 
And now Zechariah has a message for the people of God, and that's what we're going to be studying here. And that's why there's a lot of prophecy, because Zechariah is going to be talking about the kinds of things that are happening in the future. He's going to talk about the Messiah and uh, those sorts of things. But chapter 1, the very beginning of chapter 1, which is what we're going to look at today, is different than the rest of the book. We're just looking at the first six six verses of chapter 1, and it's a little bit different than the rest of the book. It's a call to repentance. And that's what we're going to look at here as I read it for us. So Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. That's our text today. Let me read it for you here. <clears throat> in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came to Zechariah, son of Berkiah, son of Edo, the prophet, saying, Yahweh is very angry against your fathers. And you shall say to them, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Return to me, declares Yahweh of hosts, and I will return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. You shall not be as your fathers, to whom the former prophets called out, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Turn from your wicked ways and from your wicked deeds. But they did not listen, and they did not pay attention to me, declares Yahweh. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Surely my words and my statutes, which I have commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? And they returned. And they said, just as Yahweh of hosts has ordained to deal with us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. Those are the opening words of Zechariah, and it's, it's right after that verse that I just read in verse 7 that we'll deal with next week where the prophecies begin. And next week we're going to learn about multicolored flying horses flying around the sky of Israel, and we're going to see what God has to tell us through that. But in these, these first verses here, they're a little different than the rest of the book. And it's because Zechariah is, is opening his message to the people of God with a call to repentance. And what's really nice is the text breaks down into three really good ways to deal with it here this morning. Firstly, you have a call to repentance. Secondly, you have how to repent. He's going to explain what the people of God need to do. What does repentance look like? And then thirdly, you have God's grace at work. And we get to see what happened when the word of God penetrated the hearts of the fathers when they were led into exile. Okay, so firstly, let's look at uh, verse 1 <clears throat> this morning. A call to repentance. What's really nice about the prophets, usually, is they, they like to give a historical era in which their message uh, was given. And that's why right away here, Zechariah records for us exactly when God spoke to him. And that was here in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius. Does anyone know who Darius is? He's a king? All right, good. Do you know what nation he's a king of? Babylon? No, not quite. He took over Babylon. His, I mean, the nation he's king of took over Babylon. <clears throat> Do you remember from last week, anybody? Persia. What nation? What's, what was that? Persia. Yeah, Persia. Exactly right. Persia was the nation that came and conquered Babylon. And just by way of reminder from last week, Cyrus the Great was king of Persia, the great world empire that conquered Babylon. And you remember, Babylon was the empire that conquered Israel and led them into captivity. 
So when Cyrus the Great conquered Babylon, he was a very shrewd ruler and decided, hey, let's send the Israelites back to their land so they'll be more loyal to me, the Persian king, because if I give them what they want, then they'll be nicer to me. They'll obey my rule and all that kind of thing. So Cyrus was pretty smart that way. Politicians know how to work the people and work the crowd. Uh, They still do that today, you know. Uh, If you give me power, I'll give you what you want. Very classic, you know, political strategy. And that's what Cyrus did. He wants power, so he gives the people of Israel freedom to go back to Canaan. Now, he's still, Cyrus is still controlling them. He still rules over them because Israel is part of the Persian Empire now. They're conquered. But he lets them go live there. And they can be in their land. So... Cyrus the Great is the king who conquered Babylon and set the people of Israel free to go back to Canaan. But here we are told that Zechariah begins his ministry in the second year of the reign of this guy named Darius. Now Darius is one of the successors to Cyrus the Great. So you have Cyrus the Great, and then there were a couple other kings, and then Darius. He is king of Persia. And so he rules over basically all of the known world right now. This is a major figure that we're dealing with here, Darius, in the scope of history. And historians will tell us that the second year of the reign of Darius was about 520 BC. If, now, I doubt you remember this from last week, but last week we had talked about the Israelites were set free in 538 BC. So this is about 18 years after the Israelites have come back to the land of Canaan. And if you remember, Zechariah was one of the people of Israel who was born in Babylon and came back with the 42,000 Israelites to the land of Canaan. So Zechariah was born in, in exile. And now he's in the new uh, the land of Canaan. They're rebuilding everything. And he's raised up as a prophet of God. And in the second year of Darius, 520 BC, 500 years before Jesus is on earth, Zechariah is prophesying. And here's what God told them. The word of Yahweh came to Zechariah and said, God, or Yahweh, is very angry against your fathers. And actually, if you look at the Hebrew, this verb is in the past tense. It says, God was angry with your fathers. And if you look at your English text, what you'll probably notice is it says, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. And what I think is kind of interesting is if you take a look at the Hebrew text, One of the things you notice about Hebrew is that whenever a Hebrew wants to emphasize something, they will simply repeat words. You probably heard this before if you've ever heard a sermon on Isaiah chapter 6, when the angels are speaking of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You remember hearing something about that? Preachers talking about this? Maybe R.C. Sproul talking about this in his classic series, The Holiness of God. When Hebrew wants to emphasize something, one of the ways they do it is they repeat words. Holy, holy, holy. Well, if you look at the Hebrew for verse 2 here, it says, Yahweh was angry against your father's anger. It repeats angry twice. And so what Zechariah is emphasizing here is, Yahweh was extremely angry against your fathers. Now, why why would Yahweh be angry? with the fathers of the people that Zechariah is ministering to. Other God. Other God. Yeah, right. Right. They turned away. They turned away from Yahweh. 
Yeah, they were worshiping other gods. They were involved in gross immorality. Oh, yeah, they intermarried, too. Intermarried, yep. There's all kinds of things that they were not supposed to be doing. They sinned against God. They turned against Him. They refused to repent. They had hard hearts. And if you want to learn more about that, just read the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah's got a lot to say because Jeremiah was ministering to the people of God before the exile. He warned them about the judgment of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon coming against them, and they didn't listen. And so that's what Zechariah is referring to here. God was extremely angry with your fathers because they were so unrepentant. And what Zechariah doesn't say directly here, but what everyone who's listening to him in his day would have understood is that Yahweh was angry with your fathers because of they sinned, and he sent them into exile. That is, this is why the exile happened. It's because it was God's judgment, his wrath being poured out upon the previous generation for their sin. And now, this people that's in Zechariah's day that he's ministering to, these are a new generation. Right, because their fathers have died away. This has been uh, several decades since the exile. So that previous generation has died away. This is a new generation, and and Zechariah is reminding them, your fathers. What happened to them? They died in exile because of their disobedience. God was very angry with them. Verse three, and you shall say to them. That is, this is God speaking to Zechariah and saying, you shall say to this new generation who's now in the land of Canaan rebuilding everything, you shall say to them, thus says Yahweh of hosts, return to me, declares Yahweh of hosts, and I will return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. That's a loaded verse right there. First of all, notice how Yahweh of hosts or the Lord of hosts is repeated three times in this small sentence. Uh, he, Zechariah is emphasizing something here. Yahweh of hosts, the Lord of armies. That is, God has uncountable, innumerable, heavenly armies at his disposal. He is the greatest being in the whole universe. And here's what he says. Return to me. Return to me, and I will return to you. In English, we have this word, repent. I'm sure you've heard of this word before, right? It's a very important word for Christians. A very important part of believing in Jesus Christ is we repent from our sins. The word repent in English simply means to turn back or to return. That is, we turn away from our sin and we turn towards Christ. This is the Hebrew word for repent that we have here, return. In fact, some of your English translations, maybe you notice this, actually say repent. Turn to me or repent to me, and then I will return to you, declares Yahweh. So what's, what's the message of Zechariah that's right at the forefront, right at the beginning of this apocalyptic, prophetic book to this people of Israel who are in a destroyed land who are trying to rebuild and trying to figure out how God's promises are going to work for them. The same promises that God made to Abraham, the promises that God made to David, saying one of your descendants will rule the world and he will establish peace. And now it looks like, well, no one's ruling except Cyrus, king of Persia. The son of David is not on the throne, at least not an earthly son. 
They're distraught. What's going on here? What are we supposed to do? Zechariah says, God was angry with your fathers. They turned against God. Now what are you going to do? Here's what you need to do. Turn to God. And he will return to you. Now if you are, I suspect some of you are, if you are theologically minded, if you like to think about theology, you might have a few bells going off in your mind right now when you read a verse like this, right? Because when God says, return to me and I will return to you, that almost sounds like a quid pro quo kind of situation where God is saying, hey, I'll do something for you if you do something for me. You want salvation? Great. Turn to me. And I, I God, am just going to stand here and I'm going to wait and see what you do. If we're not careful, if we're not using Scripture to interpret Scripture, we might come to this text and think that God is sort of sitting in heaven, watching the Israelites and saying, all right, let's see what you guys do. Oh, let me sprinkle a little grace on you to help you out. But I'm just going to stand back and, and watch what happens here. That's not what this verse is saying. Right? When we read in the New Testament, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. When we read Peter in the book of Acts saying, believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. When we read Paul saying, turn from your sins, be reconciled to God. These are not commands that God is giving or invitations that God is giving in which he's just sitting in heaven hoping someone responds. That is not how God operates. That is not how salvation works. God gives these calls in the scripture. Repent. Turn to me. Be reconciled to God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these commands throughout scripture, God gives. And then he's the one who works the response in his people. We do not take any credit for responding to the gospel. God's not watching to see what happens. He's not waiting. He's not like, oh, I wonder if Levi's going to believe in Jesus today. No. God is the one who accomplishes the work of regeneration, of bringing us to life. He's the one who does it. He works the response in us. That is his grace. And God works that response. And now when we come to the scriptures and we read these commands that God is giving, repent, repent, Turn to me. They are real commands given to people, but only God works that response. So always when we're looking at these kinds of things, we need to remember salvation is of the Lord. It's not of us. We're not doing anything. God's the one doing it. But these are real commands that God is really giving. And these are the commands that he is giving to his people Israel here. Repent and turn to me. And I'll return to you. Verse 4 here begins sort of the second point here. How to repent. What does repentance look like? What do the people of Israel need to do? Verse 4. Well, here's what they should not do in the negative sense. You shall not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets spoke, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Turn from your wicked ways and your wicked deeds. You shall not be like your fathers to whom the prophets said, Hey guys, listen, God is going to send judgment upon you. 
God is going to send you into exile. This is exactly what Jeremiah said. And Jeremiah said, God will do this unless you turn from your wicked ways and your wicked deeds. Two things. One, Jeremiah said, you need to stop doing sinful things. Stop breaking the law of God. Live lives worthy of the calling of God. So turn from your wicked deeds. But Jeremiah was also saying, this, this former, these former prophets that uh, Zechariah is referring to, Jeremiah was also saying, don't just turn away from doing bad things. But you need to turn away from doing wicked ways. A, a wicked way, this is kind of what, going back to Psalm chapter 1, which I preached on last Sunday evening. Going back to Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. That's the way of the wicked being described there. Jeremiah is saying, turn from your wicked ways. Don't be in the way of the wicked. Don't have your life characterized by sin, of course. <clears throat> but also, you need to change your heart. You can't just not do bad things. That's, it's, repenting is not just changing how you are on the outside. Repenting is changing how you are on the inside. You need to want the things of God. You need to hate the things that God despises. That's really tough to do for totally depraved sinners who can't do that. Only the Spirit can do that in us. Only the Spirit can change the inclinations of our heart and make us willing to want God and to do His will. Sanctification is the work of the Spirit. But this is what repentance look, looks like. True repentance is not just not doing bad things, not just not worshiping the Baals in Israel's context, but it's also a total change of the heart. Jeremiah calls this the circumcision of the heart, the cutting off of the parts of the heart that God does not like, of our evil desires, of our attitudes towards the Almighty. And this is why repentance is not a human act. When God calls the Israelites to repentance, he's not calling them to do something that they can do. They can't do it. They are totally depraved sinners. Every aspect of their being has been plunged into the depths of depravity because of the sin of Adam. They can't repent. They can't change their wicked deeds. They can't change their wicked ways. It's only the Spirit of God that can do this. But yet he gives this call to return to me. And he works through that call in his word through the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. It is only the Spirit that can accomplish what God is demanding of his people here. Only God fulfills the conditions of the covenant. We can't do it. Israelites couldn't do it. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the prophets called out, saying, Turn from your wicked ways and turn from your wicked deeds. And here's what the fathers did. <clears throat> here's what the fathers did. Second half of verse 4. They did not listen. And they did not even pay attention to me, declares Yahweh. They did not pay attention to me. In other words, he doesn't say they didn't pay attention to the prophets. When God sends people to herald his word, to preach his word, to bring his word to the people, God does not see the rejection of that word as the rejection of the prophet's words. 
No, he sees the rejection of the prophet's words as a rejection of he himself. Your fathers rejected me, declares Yahweh. That's what he's saying. And Zechariah does not say this, but all of his listeners know the result of what happened when they rejected God. And that is that they were thrown into the Babylonian exile. And it was a turmoil, turmoilous time, tumultuous time for the people of God. And they didn't even pay attention to the words that God sent them. And then in verse 5 here, as Zechariah continues to elaborate on what repentance looks like, in the, really in the negative sense here, what repentance doesn't look like, uh, he asked two rhetorical questions in verse 5. And this is, pro, the prophets really like to ask rhetorical questions that the people of Israel would really understand at the time. Sometimes when we're reading our Bible through the year or, you know, whatever we're doing, we don't stop and think about the historical context of what's going on here. We don't take the time to do the research and sometimes we miss things. But here, with the background knowledge that we have from our discussion last week and what I've been talking about today, these rhetorical questions make wonderful sense. And they're very convicting. Your fathers, verse 5, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Your fathers, where are they? What's the answer? What happened to the previous generation? They're all gone. They're all gone. What happened to them? Yeah, just, okay, they were removed, dispersed, they died, right? Where did they die? Yeah, right, Iran. Uh, Modern-day uh, modern Iran, what would have been at this time, Babylon. That's what happened to the fathers. In other words, Zechariah is saying, hey, you want to try doing things the way you, the previous generation did? Not repenting, not listening to God, not doing what he says? <laughs> Where are they now? What happened to them? Oh yeah, that's right. They died. They died in judgment. They died and they had to live the consequences of their sin before they died. They were in a foreign land wondering what happened, wondering where God is. Your fathers, where are they? They died. Why? Because sin brings death. In this case, it's a physical death, but this is a picture, a historical picture of the theological teaching that Paul will bring out for us later in Romans 3, that the wages of sin is death. And there, Paul's not just talking about physical death, he's talking about spiritual death. The consequences that the, the previous generation faced for their rejection of Yahweh God is death in a foreign land, death in exile from the land of promise. And then the second... Uh, Second rhetorical question Zechariah asks is, and the prophets, do they live forever? And this again is another rhetorical question because obviously even we know the answer to this. Do the prophets live forever? I mean, no, not in the physical earthly sense. And yes, in the heavenly sense, of course, but that's not what Zechariah means here. He's saying, will prophets always be around? That is, will God always send specific people that we call prophets who receive special revelations from God and demonstrate that they are prophets by means of miracles? And will God send these people 
to you forever. No. No, the time of the prophets and the apostles has passed. That was for a specific point in redemptive history. And what Zechariah is saying is, will prophets like this always be around? Will you always have an Ezekiel or an, a Jeremiah or even a Zechariah or a Haggai or all these other people we could name? Will there always be Elijahs around? No. That's going to go away. They will not be around forever. Even in ancient Israel, prophets were relatively rare. Sometimes ancient Israel would go hundreds of years without any prophets. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but for me, I tend to think that Israel was just you know, full of prophets all the time. and Red seas were parting left and right, and all these miracles were happening. No, that wasn't the case. Prophets were relatively rare, even in ancient Israel. We just happened to be reading about them one after another in the scriptures. And Zechariah is saying, listen guys, you are in a unique point of redemptive history where God is sending prophets with special revelation directly from God and they are proclaiming it to you face to face. This is not going to be around forever. Listen up. They will not be here for long. Your fathers, will they live forever? The prophets, or sorry, (laughs) your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, will they live forever? And then here we get to verse 6. This is my favorite verse in this text. This is my favorite one. Because in verse 6, we actually see the sovereign grace of God at work, even in the previous generation. Listen to what Zechariah says. You may not have been expecting this. Verse 6, Surely my words and my statutes, which I have commanded my servants... The prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? And they repented. And they said, just as Yahweh of hosts has ordained to deal with us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. This took me a little bit of time this week to sort of digest and think about what's Zechariah getting at here. Because here Zechariah is describing the fact that the previous generation did repent eventually. They died in exile, to be sure. They had to suffer the consequences for their sin in Babylon, in a foreign land, being enslaved there. But according to Zechariah, he says, your fathers repented. They turned. They listened to God eventually. But here's what it took for them to turn to God. They had to be thrown into judgment. They had to see the word of God come to fruition. The promises of judgment had to happen. The consequences had to come. In other words, they had to be confronted with the reality of their sin. And once they saw the reality of their sin, they repented. And they said, the way that God has dealt with us, the way that God has ordained to deal with us by sending us into exile on account of our wicked ways and on account of our wicked deeds, that is the way that God has done it. You see that? You see how the people come to repentance eventually? And here's why they did Here's why they did, very beginning of verse 6. 
Surely my words and my statutes which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake them? The word overtake being used in the Hebrew there, that's the normal word in the Hebrew language that you find in other parts of Scripture like in Genesis where you have two people where one person is chasing the other person and eventually catches up to them. This is the word that's used when when Laban is chasing after Jacob, after Jacob flees with his family to go back to Bethel to go see Esau. Remember that, where Jacob marries Leah and Rachel, they have all these children, Jacob's prosperous, and then he flees from Laban, and Laban chases after him and overtakes him and then makes a covenant. Same word that's being used here. It describes a chase and then the final overtaking. What's doing the overtaking here? God's words. Surely my words and my statutes overtook your fathers. That is, God's word chased them down. God's word chased them down and got them. And they repented. The word of God penetrated their hearts in light of their recognition of the just judgment of God that came upon them in the form of the Babylonian exile. Do you see that? It's repentance on behalf of the fathers. And this is one of the reasons why, one of the reasons why I love Reformed theology. Because only in Reformed theology does the word of God overtake people. only in Reformed theology that the Word of God overtakes people. It's only in Reformed theology that God gets his man. That when God decides to chase someone, he will get that person. That is the grace of God at work. And that is the grace of God at work that we see here. God got his people. He came after them with his words. He came after them with his statutes. And they overtook them. And they repented. And they turned to God and said, God, you have dealt justly with us. And the lingering question that's hanging in the air that Zechariah leaves for his original audience is what will you as this new generation who has been graciously returned to the land of Canaan, what will you do? Are you going to listen to the word of God? Or are you going to be receiving judgment? for your disobedience. What are you going to do? And only a further study of Zechariah is going to show what will happen to the people of God. And so we'll look at that as we go along. But as we think, as we finish up here, as we think about what this text means for us in the 21st century, I think we need to recognize that when we look at this text we may identify more closely with the original state of the previous generation being described here than we think. And what I mean by that is this. The previous generation, before they repented, they were an unbelieving, sinful people who refused to listen to the prophets who heralded the word of God to them. And as sinners, how often are we like that 
How often are we stuck in our own ways? How often is it when the pastor presents the word of God to us and the law of God is presented, the standards by which we must live, and the gospel is presented, the way of salvation? How often is it that we hear these things and we remain unmoved? And we don't respond. We just say, oh, that was a nice message, and go home and nothing changes. How often, even even as believing Christians who love the Lord, when we hear the law presented and we are told how we should live and we still go home and we say, oh, that was a nice message, but nothing changes. We don't amend our lives. I tend to think of the previous generation being described here as so wicked, so horrible, so terrible. How could they do that? But I live that way far more often than I like to admit. And I know we all do, because we're sinners. But here's what I love about this text, is in this text there's a call to repentance, a call to the invitation of God's grace and mercy. Always there for us sinners. Always there, always offered. God is always calling, repent, turn to me. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. The gospel is clearly presented here. And we even have the sovereignty of God listed here too because it's in those calls to repentance when the word of God goes out that God chases us down and he grabs us, he overtakes us, and he changes us. And he gets his man or his woman, as the case may be. I love Zechariah. Repent. Return to me and I'll return to you. That's the message of this book. And that message will be reinforced by the prophecies that we're going to look at as we continue through it in these next few weeks. All right, we're out of time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your gospel is not simply presented in the four gospels of the New Testament. We thank you that your gospel is not simply mentioned in the epistles of Paul or of Peter or of James or of Jude or of John. Lord, your gospel is not simply in the New Testament, but we can see the gospel clearly presented even here in Old Testament Israel. Lord, we thank you for the prophet Zechariah whom you raised up to teach this message to your people. And Lord, I pray that as we study this book, as we try to apply it to our own lives in the 21st century, I pray that you would help us to see Jesus. Help us to be convicted of our sin and to turn to you and to remember what you accomplished for us on the cross, your forgiveness, that same forgiveness that forgave the people of Israel. We pray that we would have that too. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that through this study you would draw us closer to yourself and that you prepare us to worship you in spirit and in truth in the worship service today and prepare us now to hear the preaching from Pastor Adam and to hear your word and to believe it and to love it and to put it into practice in our lives. In the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.